We're in Luke chapter 11, and we're uh, going to be taking a look at verses 5 through 13 this morning. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. We value it and we cherish it. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through it. As we've been going through prayer uh, these past several weeks, the Lord's Prayer, Lord, and how you've been ministering to us in in all those various uh, facets of it, I ask, God, that you would help us to have lives of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're new here, we what we do here is we just kind of go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible, and we're in the Gospel of Luke right now. And we just took several weeks to look more closely at the Lord's Prayer, to kind of dissect it some more, and so... I think what we can conclude from that whole prayer series is that the relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ is primarily manifested through prayer. That the reality of our relationship with God is through prayer, not, not what we say or do for Him, but, what, but that we have fellowship, that we have relationship with Him. And I think many of us know non-Christians who do things and say things that are actually more Christians than Christians do. And the difference is that those those are, are secondary things to the fellowship and the relationship that we have with God. Because as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We're not saved by our works. We are saved by grace. And the works are an expression of that grace that we've received. So more than anything else in in the life of a Christian, the place prayer has in our life is to be the paramount thing. Because if you think about your relationship with those you're closest to, whether it be your spouse or your parents, your children, and let's say that those people serve you really, really well, and they do a lot of great things for you, and they say a lot of great things about you to other people, and, and it makes you feel good in that, that sense. But what if they never spoke to you? That they were just saying, like, oh, yeah, my wife is really great, and, and they do things for you, but you've never really talked to her. How would that make her feel? And so how could, it, how could we possibly know God if we don't enter in a, into a relationship with Him, into a fellowship with Him through prayer? And I think this is why prayer is the mo- one of the most challenging things in the Christian life. I find that prayer is easy when I'm interceding for people, when, when I want something, uh, to, to pray during meals and, and to, at bedtimes. And, and, you know, it's kind of shallow. Because that's not how I'd treat a good friend. That's not how I'd treat my spouse or, or my children. You know, to, to talk with, say, a friend only when I need something or when something, someone else needs something, uh, to communicate out of, out of routine or convenience, that's, that's not how we treat good friends. And yet sometimes I find myself treating God like this, like just some casual acquaintance that, you know, it's routine. It's when I need something. It's when I want to ask him for something. Yet Jesus had this dynamic prayer life. And he was, he was tight with God the Father, right? And, and Jesus was off and off on his own in these early mornings to be with God and sometimes praying all night long. Do you find that when you're in the right mindset of prayer, you don't even have enough time to pray? That it just keeps going and things are going on, right? 
You set out this, you set out to pray for this half hour and, and you're on a roll and when you look up, you've prayed for a few hours. Did that happen for any of you? Maybe not? It's, it's happened to me a few times. I can't say like, I'm, oh, I'm so spiritual. It happens to me all, it's only a few times. It's happened to me a few times. But sometimes I'll be praying and I, and I, and think that I've been praying for a half hour. And I look up and it's been like six minutes. And that's more like it. That's, that's quite honestly, that's more like it. Like, oh yeah, I've been praying for a long time. Six minutes. Hmm. And, and I find it fascinating that when, when we, um, when, when there's something like, like prayer, something like prayer that is so good, that time can move so slow, but when, when we're gossiping or criticizing or, or venting, time moves really fast, right? You can talk to somebody about that stuff, about how someone mistreated you, and you can talk about that for ages. Or you can gossip for ages, or you can do all this stuff. You can vent for a long time, and time just passes by like it's nothing. Don't you find that fascinating? Because I, I, I have family members like this. I don't know if you do, but I do. That they, they like to get together, and they like to talk about all these sorts of things. And they can sit around and gossip about, gossip about the family member that's not there for a long time. They could do that all night. People talking about nothing, really. And anyone out there um, ever start a conversation that you've regretted starting? You know, you, you went to that person, you asked this question, you're like, why did I go there? You ever had that conversation with someone who just doesn't stop talking? And you ask one question, and 20 minutes later, you haven't said a word because that person's just not, hasn't even taken a breath. They're just, like, when are they going to take a breath? When are they going to take a breath? Because that's when I'm going to break in. But they don't take a breath. And you're like, God, please rescue me. Please, like, do something. Earthquake, anything. Just do something. And if you haven't had this experience, I can introduce you to a few people like this. They're here. They're here. People can gossip all night. People can talk nonstop. But how often is prayer done all night or nonstop? Right? How, how come we can talk all night to a love interest or to a best friend, but how often have we done that with God? I remember when Katie and I were dating, and most of the time that we were dating, she was living in Spain. So there were time, because of the time difference, I'd have to call her really late at night, and um, it would be she would be waking up for her and getting ready for her day and stuff and I, and um, so so many times I'd talk through the night, all night. I didn't even know I could talk that much, but I can. And and so I'd be on the phone and 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 then I'd find out oh it's time to go to work. And 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 so no sleep at all, right? I just I, I'd get on the phone and we'd talk and I'd look up and I'm like. Oh, daybreak. I got to go to work, you know, and get ready. I, I loved her. I wanted to talk with her. I wanted just to be there and have that relationship building and talk and stuff. And I could talk all night and we still can. We actually, that's one of our favorite things to do. We could just stay up and talk. But now we have children and work and all these type of things. So we have to put a curfew on what we enjoy. But how often have I done this with God? And, it, and I, it's sad for me to confess to you that it has been less than the number of nights that I've stayed up with my girlfriend, then fiancé, then now wife. I, I just haven't done that as much with God. 
Oh, Lord, teach us to pray, one of the disciples asked earlier in the chapter. And so Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. And then he gave us this illustration of the prayer in verses 5 through 8. And let's read that. And he said to them, Which of you has, who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. How many of us can relate to this illustration? And maybe you don't fully get it yet, so you can't relate. But I think it might be difficult to relate to this because it's not something that we readily experience. Right? Can, can any of you imagine this happening here in Oakland? Right? Like, I think our interns can because it happens to them. People are ringing the bell all the time asking for food and coming at all hours of the night. And, but most of us probably can't imagine something like this. This probably doesn't happen to us all the time. And in fact, if somebody came to my house at midnight asking for bread, I'm probably not going to be too happy about it. Right? I'm probably going to be pretty ticked off because it would make my dog go crazy, and then he would wake up all my children. I have three of them. Five, three, and one. So it's not like teenagers where they won't wake up. They're, they will wake up. And so, so the fact that they would be woken up, you are going to stay with me until you help me put them back to bed if you wake them up at midnight. Right? Like, you are not leaving. I'm not giving you the bread and you're going. Like, you're earning that bread. Come here. Right? So, but now let's imagine back in the Middle East here and their cultural context. Because for us in the West, hospitality, let's be honest, it's not just at the top of our list. Maybe in the South, but not so much here. Right? It's just not. Typically in a Western home, when you come to visit from out of town and you visit a friend, you enter the door, you're shown your room, you're shown the bathroom. That's about it. Right? That's about it. And if you want something to eat or drink, you have to typically ask for it. Right? It's not typically like laid out before you, set out before you. It's typically not offered. And if you're really hungry, you can head out for a bite to eat or, or buy something because things are open 24 hours. You can, you can head out and get something. Not so in the Middle East at this time. Right, the, the hospitality is at the top of their list, and this guy has a friend who's come from a long way to, to stay with him, and he has nothing to offer. This is really, really bad. There, there is no in and out to go to. There is no taco truck to go to. This, they're, they're, things are closed. Now, what happened in the Middle East at this time? Well, the guests would be welcomed in, and a servant or the host would wash their feet would wash the feet of the guest. And then something would be offered to, to eat or to drink for that guest, to, to welcome them in. This guy had nothing. And so this is breaking Middle Eastern etiquette. It's breaking Middle Eastern code of conduct, its customs, the social responsibilities of that culture. This is a serious offense. This is a really big knucklehead mistake that this guy made that he didn't have any food. So what does this guy do? He goes to a friend's house to ask for some bread to, to cover his social irresponsibility for him to provide nothing is, an, is just absolutely unacceptable. This is not an acceptable thing to do. 
Now at this time, people were usually long asleep by midnight. Right? They, they're, they're, they're in deep REM. Right? They are in deep sleep. There's no late night television. There's no internet. There's no lights. There's no nothing. This is an agrarian society that is counting on the sunlight to do their work. So at, at the break of day, they are off and they're off to work. And typically, days would begin like this. They would begin with the work day. And so they would take advantage of this. So once nightfall is coming, they're getting ready for bed. In verse 7, the guy tells him, Dude, don't bother me, right? The door's shut. You get a clue. The door's shut. So when the door's shut, that means in that culture, we're out. Closed for business. Don't bother us. You know, come back tomorrow. And during the day, typically doors would be open. So you, would, you can come in and out, and it's very communal. And so in terms of neighbors, they can come in and out, and they can contribute to one another, and they can say, Hey, Betsy, I got extra eggs. You, you, want, you want some eggs? And, and, then, and, and then someone else would come by and say, Hey, I got surplus veggies. You want some veggies? And they would, would kind of just exchange. And so days would start really early. Doors would be open really early. But when the door is shut, that means we're asleep. Come back later. Like business hours are over. So not only is it in the middle of the night and the door is shut, but his children are in bed with him. Some of you might be wondering, oh, that's weird. Why are all the children in bed with him? See, in our homes, we typically have several rooms, right? We have several rooms or we have more than one bedroom. And and so mom and dad have their own room and then kids typically have their own room. And so not back in this time and culture. Typically, everyone slept in one room unless you were well off to have that extra room. But typically, most people, as a family, they would sleep in one room. So if you go with us to Israel next summer, we're going to Israel in June of 2012. And if time permits, we're going to go to this recreation of this Middle Eastern village. And one of the recreations has this house. And when we go into this house, you're going to see how it was built and how it was structured and how they all kind of slept in one room. This is most families. They sleep together, mom, dad, brother, sisters. They're all in one room. It's not a large living quarter at all. So oftentimes where the bread was stored was very close to the sleeping quarters, if not in the same room. So it's not like this father could get up without waking his family. right? The knock on the door would probably get them up in the first place. But if it didn't, dad getting up and dad going to a lantern and lighting it and fumbling through that, walking over the kids and going to where the bread is at and then kind of filling through all that kind of stuff, that's probably going to wake them up. And if that doesn't wake them up, probably the commotion of the animals would probably wake them up, whether it's the the dog or the the nervous chickens or or whatever, or the goat or whatever, you know, all that commotion, it's going to wake somebody up. So getting up and giving... His friend some bread, that's not an easy thing for him to do. His family is going to be woken up, if they haven't been already, by the knock. See, and it's so different for us nowadays because we have cell phones where you can text or you can call or you can uh, email somebody to forewarn them of the arrival. But here it's just, there is no forewarning. It is a sudden knock. There is no warning. So it's just... See, we can prepare for someone coming, right? They can text us and say, hey, we're going to be there for a half hour. You'd be great. So you can close all your kids' rooms. You can get the bread out. You can turn the light on. You can set it aside right in the front door and say, don't even knock on the door. It's on the front patio. Just get it and leave. Don't call me about bread again. 
If you forget next time, you're on your own. Right? You can do that, and you can text all that stuff, and you can even text an angry face or whatever. <laughs> See, we can prepare for someone's late arrival. We can prepare, and, 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 and we can do it so that the neighborhood doesn't get woken up, our families don't get woken up, and we can, we can even set our phones to vibrate if it's like a surprise. Surprise visit. Oh. And we can turn it off, and everyone's still asleep, you know? So, so this, is, this is how it kind of is, that this is suddenly. And so the guy wakes up, who's there? It's your neighbor. Your neighbor who? Your, your neighbor who's making all these animals go crazy and wants you to get up and wake up your family and get me some bread so I don't violate our custom of hospitality, even though I know your door is shut and I know you're really mad for disturbing you at midnight and you're in REM sleep, I'm sorry. Right? And so he's like, ah. Oh. Got to get all this stuff. And, and this is not just waking up his family. This is waking up a neighborhood. Because that dog barking doesn't have to be your dog because somebody can hear the knock. The dog like four blocks away can probably hear that. And he's going cuckoo. And another dog, have you heard the chorus of dogs that go off? And then the animal's going, ah, it's midnight and dogs are barking. Is there a wolf or something? And then neighbors are like lighting lanterns, like, hey, what's going on? Hey, what's going on? Like, oh, that dude's here back for bread again. He always forgets his bread and whatever. And so babies crying, kids whining, right? Again, teenagers are asleep, though. But this is, this is probably the event that wakes up the whole village because it's not like they have double-pane windows, Right? It's just a sheet for the window. It's just a cloth. You might as well have nothing. Right? So this is not just waking up this guy's family. This is waking up a neighborhood. This is waking up a village. This is for some bread. See the culture of hospitality, how important it is, that, and the disturbance this guy is causing for some bread. It's just so important. Bread, which seems like just such a simple request, but this is no small task. And this guy's request is pretty gutsy. Because the very next morning, whoever gave that bread, those guys are going to be looking at him like, you had to give him bread, huh? You had to have a friend that forgets bread. Like, jeez. And my kids are like, oh, we're all grumpy now because we don't got sleep and stuff. So, so this is a pretty big deal for this guy to go to his neighbor and, and, and what he made his neighbor do. Right, what, what made him able to be so gutsy? Why could he go to this particular neighbor? Friendship. You notice the word friend there being exchanged several times? Friendship. You look back at verse 5. Friend, lend me three loaves. And this is not just some petty request. It's not something he could wait to do in the morning. This is hospitality at stake. This is a top thing. He's not looking out for himself. He's looking out for his guest to be hospitable. Not providing something to eat for your guest. That's a cultural taboo. You don't do that. Now, that would have been totally insulting to his visiting friend. How can you not have food for me? Right? And, and, and he had to ask someone for help. So, so he had to go to a friend to assist him in something that he couldn't do on his own. So here's the scene. He's like, hey, Barack, welcome. And he's like, George is going to wash your feet. And while I check with the missus about getting you something to eat, 
Hillary, do we have anything for Barack to eat? Um, no, I thought you were getting the bread. No, I thought you were getting the bread. What are we going to do? I know. I'm going to go to Levi's house. You're going to go to Levi Strauss? No, Levi's house. I'm going to Levi's house. You can't go to Levi's house. You're going to wake up that whole family. You can't go to his house. You'll end up waking up all the neighbors too. It's really late and all the doors are closed. How can you go out there? I have to. I can't let Barack go without anything to eat. He has to eat. Okay, don't forget to put your jeans on. So he goes out and said, so Mr. Hillary had to go out and he had to, to reach out to a friend. And what Mr. Hillary had to do wasn't self-seeking. It was something he had to do. And in reading verses 5 through 8, there's a word that sticks out there. Right? And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. The word friend, it's there multiple times. And and I bring this up because a lot of the commentaries regarding this section of Scripture, there's this mention of perseverance, which I believe is there as well. But I believe that they, they, they kind of emphasize that most of the time. So that we persevere in our prayers, that it's not it, it, that very last, that because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. It's not that I disagree with the perseverance in prayers. I totally agree with that, and I believe the Bible addresses that. Just like in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes, Pray without ceasing. Or even in Luke's Gospel in chapter 18, verse 1, he says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then Jesus goes to tell this parable about a persevering widow who asked for justice. So it's clear that we are to persevere in our prayers. That's not in question. What I'd like to take a look at more closely this morning in, in this particular passage is friend. Friend. That in this relationship as friends, when it comes to things you need from a friend, of a friend, friends deliver. Friends come through. See, friends can do, do things like knock on your door at midnight, even if it's for something like bread. Right? And if it's... If it's even just extreme inconveniences, friends do that. A stranger cannot do that. A stranger does that and you call the police, right? But a friend, you turn on the light and you notice, oh, it's, what's up? It must be something. So there's a boldness in, in this ask between friends, even when the request seems so audacious, ridiculous. So you see how this illustration translates into our relationship with God. That God is our friend whom we can ask of things no matter how ridiculous, crazy, how inconvenient the hour. Even if it was our mistake because that guy didn't go and get the bread, that we can go to him in prayer. That he's there for us. James chapter 2, verse 23, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. And as believers, in the justification that we receive through Jesus, have we not been made righteous by Jesus? And if you are, are you not a friend of God? He's your friend. 
And in earthly friendships, friends will go to extremes to, to bail out their buddies in a bind, right? How, how much more will God come through for us in a time of need? I remember I was playing a joke uh, to, to one of my friends in high school. And we're still really good friends. He was in my wedding party. And I, I was just playing a joke with him. I didn't think it was serious. It was like 3 in the morning. And I was just kidding around. And I called him up and he woke up and I was like, Hey, um, Bryant, I'm locked up in jail in Mexico. And um, can you come get me? And he was like, and then I heard in his voice, Oh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be right there. And I, can hear, and I was like, hey, wait, 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 wait. And, and then by the time he got back on the phone, he was like, okay, where are you? I was like, I'm just kidding. He was like, man. And he's like, but he, he's a good friend. Like he was ready to go. I'm not a good friend, but he's a good friend. <laughs> See, be, before this section of text, Jesus gave us some words to say in the Lord's Prayer. Right? He, gave us, he gave us words to say. Right? Like, Father. Right? Like, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Right? He, all these things. And, and so, but in verses 5 through 8 of chapter 11, it seems that Jesus is not addressing what we are saying, but he's addressing our heart and he's addressing our attitude. Right? That, that God is awaiting to address our needs like good friends do. And it's not to think that God answers to us. Right? He, he, he doesn't. God has really good boundaries and he won't be taken advantage of. And you can ask him whatever you want because he can always say no. He's, he's not shy about that. But the nature of God is that he has a heart of a friend and he cares for our needs. And this is security in knowing that God cares for us in this way. See, God is not reluctant in answering our prayers. Reluctance only comes from those who aren't sure of what they're doing, right? So we're like, oh, I need, to, I need to think about that. Or I need to, you know, ask people about that. See, God's, God's not like that. He's like, oh, let me, let me ask the rest of the Trinity about that. He's not like that. God is sure. You ask him about something, he's not like, mm, mm. He's in control. Right? God's in control. He knows what's up. And so after Jesus' illustration in verses 5 through 8, he gives us this application in verses 9 through 10. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be open. Notice the verbs Jesus used here. Ask, seek, and knock. See, these are really proactive words. These are, are, are words that take initiative. See, these aren't passive actions. Uh, another thing to note in these verses that, is that, that these actions are things for us to continually do. It's not like you, you knock once and that's it, or you ask once and that's it, or you just seek once and that's it. These are continual actions for us to do. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking of God as though He is really your friend and He really cares. See, we would be apprehensive if God was not our friend, if he was just a stranger, just a casual acquaintance. But if he's really your friend, you do this with friends. You can inconvenience your friends because they're your friend. You can't do that to a stranger. Ask, seek, knock. See, these are action words that that can be done in confidence to a friend. Ask, meaning to beg, Call for, crave, desire, require. Ask for needs we are really wanting Him to come through on, knowing that God is for us. 
God is for us. This doesn't mean that whatever we ask for, God will give us. Because he knows better. But you're thinking, hey, wait a minute though. You look at verse 10. Doesn't it say for everyone who asks, receives? So if we ask, won't we receive it? God is not a genie. Right? God is not, you're like, oh, I wish for these things and poof. Thank you, Lord. God doesn't want all of us to be rich. Maybe some. Some believe that, oh, you know, if I ask for it, that I ask for that mansion or I ask for, ask for that luxury car that he's going to deliver. Maybe he will. And if he does, please tithe. But <laughs> this is in regards to needs, right? This is in needs. This is not in regards to wants, this passage. This is needs. He needs the bread because of the hospitality and the customs and the social responsibility. That, that, that is not a want. He actually needs that. He is going to insult somebody very badly by not do, providing this. So it's not about fulfilling our every desire and pleasure. That's not what this is about. God can give to us what He wants to give us as much as He wants and as little as He, as he wants or not at all. And so you want to learn how to love and you ask for that. But that doesn't mean that he's going to package it really nicely and wrap it in a bow and give you the mate of your dreams who is just absolutely perfect and you have no disagreements whatsoever and he never does anything wrong and he just serves you and makes all your dreams come true. You might have to learn love in a difficult way. It might not be neatly packaged like that. In your prayer of asking to learn about love, it might not be packaged the way that you think. Seek, meaning to seek in order to find. It's not an aimless wandering. Right? This is a purposeful seeking in order to find something or to find out about something. And sometimes in our seeking, we find that we are who God is going to use in our prayer request. Sometimes we... I, you know, I hear this all the time. You should do such and such in the ministry or, or the church should do such and such ministry or, or someone in the church should do such and such a ministry. I hear that all the time. And if you keep seeking those ministry needs in prayer, perhaps you'll find out that it's you that God is wanting to use. Right? You guys should do this for the children. You guys should do this for the homeless. Do this for the families. Do this for the artists. Do this for sex trafficking. Do this for interns. How about you? Maybe it's you. Maybe you're the answer to your own prayers or what you're seeking. Right? How about being committed to being part of finding the solution and that, that may very well include your involvement. Knock, meaning knock. That's it. And the doors to our prayers will be open to us. Right Now, now when we pray, are we praying biblically? Because if, if we're praying biblically, we can rest assured that if our heart and our relationship with God is in the right place, our prayers will be answered. We don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know how long it's going to take. Only God knows those things. But we know He'll come through on the prayers that are consistent with His Word. For example, if we pray in reference to John chapter 4, verse 24, to worship God in spirit and in truth will be shaped to worship God in spirit and in truth. 
If we pray in reference to chapter 28 of Matthew, verse 19, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we will be empowered by God to do that. If we pray in reference to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, we know God is going to come through on that prayer. To pray for that fancy car in that mansion? I don't read that in the Bible. I guess you can kind of take it out of context and manipulate it and try to fit it in there, but I don't read some of the things that are there that we pray for. For example, really good things too, like healing. Healing of our diseases and our disabilities while on earth He's going to heal in the eyes of the everlasting, but sometimes God heals and sometimes He doesn't while we're on this earth. God doesn't promise us successful careers. He doesn't promise us successful businesses. He doesn't promise us to be great students. Sorry, students. And these are all great things to pray for. They're all great things to pray for, but he doesn't guarantee our desired outcomes to these prayers all the time. The Bible does read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God is in control. He knows what to give us. He knows what not to give us. He knows what is enabling us not to mature as, as children of his, and what helps us to develop into mature children. He knows all of these things. God is not going to do everything for us that we can do for ourselves. right? He will help us, but He won't do what we can do for ourselves. Right? You, if you're perfectly able to eat, but you just refuse to eat, it's not like you're going to wake up in the morning and say, like, oh, God filled my tummy. He's not going to do that. you got to eat. you got to put that food in your mouth, chew and swallow. Right? He's not going to make you eat. If you desire to be pure, which I hear from so many men, they, de- they desire to be pure, God will help you, but there are things for you to do for yourself. Right? Like, like getting into a small group to confess your sins to one another and to get help and to, to get support for your problem. Like not putting yourself in compromising situations. And if you're not capable of doing that, to get external helps like software programs or or friends who who are going to walk with you through these difficulties and pray for you, like finding a counselor or a 12-step program, that it's not just going to be done passively. There are some things to equip you that you can do, and God's going to help you with that stuff. But He's not going to put you in that support group. He's not going to put this counselor in your life. He's not going to do these different things. You have something to do. We don't always know what's best for us. God does, and we can seek help, and he will help. And maybe there are things you're attempting to pray out of your life that are actually there for you, not against you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-10 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God knows what is best. Things that we wish were different circumstances that we want to change, but we don't even know what's best for us, let alone other people in our life. See, God may have different plans than we have for our own lives. God may have us go through health challenges, relationship difficulties, various challenges for the purposes of the kingdom. I have this pastor friend, Joe. He's given five months to live. And he's gone through so much physical suffering in, in these past several years, he, he's lost his legs, he's lost parts of his hands, he's, he's lost um, parts of his ears and his nose. His body was attacking itself. And so they didn't even know if he was going to live through that episode several years ago, but he did make it. And, and this guy is so godly. He, he loves his wife, he loves his kids, he loves his grandkids. He's such a minister of God. And when I went to visit him in the hospital, because he was actually in Sonora, that they had to fly him to San Francisco because they couldn't handle it there. They, they didn't know what was up. So they, they brought him to San Francisco to take care of these things. And, and so I was there thinking that I was going to minister to him and that I was going to be there for him and things like that. But he totally turned it around. And so this guy is losing his legs and, and, he's, losing, and he's just barely in, in consciousness because this is after a while when he's in recovery. And so I'm like, hey, Joe, how can I pray for you? And he was like, hey, young pastor. It's like, you're young. You must be going through a lot of difficult things in your church. You're, you're a young guy. How can I pray for you? I'm like, you're losing your stinking legs. And you're asking me how you're going to pray for me. Part of your nose is gone. Part of your ears, they're, they're gone. Your hands are all mangled. They're, they're like going away. And you're asking me how you're going to pray for me. I have to believe that God knows best. And when we were praying for Joe's health to return several years ago, he did. And, and so a bunch of us pastors were blessed to know him. And every time I'm, I'm anywhere near the vicinity, I, I go and visit him. And the last time I was there, I was teaching at, a, at a, a parenting seminar. And I found out that he had five months to live. Because he, he has this cancer that's just spread throughout his body. I don't know what God is doing. I believe that God knows best. Lastly, verses 11 through 13, a parting thought from Jesus. What father among you, if, he, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, no loving father would give their child something that will kill them when they're asking for something that's going to sustain their life. Right, If you and I, as earthly fathers or to-be fathers and evil and sinners, know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more will our Heavenly Father give us the best gifts? Right? God is not going to give us fake things. He's not going to give us a counterfeit gift. He's going to give us the real thing. He's going to give us what we need. He's going to give us the best gifts. He's not going to give us 
a counterfeit thing. He's going to give us the Holy Spirit. You guys have friends who will, who will bail you out in a bind. How much more will our heavenly friend help us in our needs? Knowing this, let's apply the continual asking, the continual seeking, the continual knocking of the things of God. And, and by the way, you as a sinful person know how to give good gifts to, to your kids. How much more your heavenly father? See, my father goes to China several times a year. And he brings back clothing for me and my wife and my kids all the time. And he, he really means well by buying these gifts for us. But they're fake. Right? Like, you know what I mean? The, the Louis Fouiton and the, the, the Blurberry and um, the polo with the stick that's down instead of up. You know, you know those various things that you kind of catch. Like, you know, what, what? How do you play polo without a stick? Like, you just, you know. Um, he means well. It's all counterfeit stuff, right? And this is from our earthly fathers. The real gifts are never counterfeit from our heavenly father. They, they are real. Those, those gifts we can count on. And, and part of why my dad gets that stuff for us is that his resources are limited. He can't give me the real thing. Right? And, and he's not willing to use his limited resources to buy those things. And really, I'm just appreciative of the thing that he gets us, right? And this is like a, a really bad illustration, so just go with me. But our Heavenly Father has unlimited resources, and he is willing to fork out the resources to get the real thing, to, to send the Holy Spirit. He, he had his only begotten Son die on the cross for, for that price to be paid for our righteousness, for us to be justified before him. He is willing to pay. So let's commit to prayer as a church and as individual followers of Jesus, knowing that God desires to bless us. That he desires to give us what we ask for, 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 for what we seek after, for, for us to, to have the doors open to us on the doors that we knock. And for those of you who are, who are just carrying some really heavy loads on your back, I, I just want to end with this encouraging word from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for anyone here who does not know you as friend. that they can pray in faith and that you will be. And Lord, for those of us who may feel distant from you, I pray, God, that you would minister to them, that they would look up to you in prayer, knowing that you will answer, knowing that you desire and are willing to touch their lives. Lord, help us to look to prayer more diligently as a church. Help us to rely on you and not our own abilities and capabilities. That we need your help to do something grand. 
that we're so limited in the amount that we can do. But also, Lord, help us to take responsibility for the things that are of us, that you are not wanting to enable us to continue being unhealthy. In Jesus' name, amen.